We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. How's it going, everybody? Welcome in to another episode of the Mavs Step Back Podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Trigg. Uh, today, I am joined by my DallasBasketball.com colleague. He does great work for us over there, Grant Afseth. You can find him at Grant Afseth on Twitter. You can find myself at Dalton underscore Trigg. Uh, Grant has been uh, a globetrotter uh, this <laughs> offseason. He has been everywhere, and I mean literally everywhere. I mean from from uh you know the the draft to uh summer league to uh even going over and covering FIBA uh in the Philippines and Japan and so he has been all over the place he's done a great job uh covering all that stuff but Grant first of all have you rested up yet because if if I was gone as long as you were I would be in bed for a week straight so <laughs> congrats to you on not doing that but how are you feeling right now Oh yeah pretty good for sure I feel like uh, you know it definitely takes a little bit of time to get used to what time of day it is 14 hours difference in Japan and then 12 hours in the Philippines was definitely uh, interesting. So yeah, just in time for uh, for training camp for sure. Yeah, <laughs> you got a few. You got a few days off until <laughs> until that comes up. So, so I mean, just what what were the what were the major differences aside from you know just the time zone? What, you know, as far as covering the teams and all that, because you know, for example, you know, I saw you mention it several times on Twitter. We talked about it. They have like that mixed zone thing where. You know, after the game, it's not just straight to press conferences. They had that little feature thrown in there. So what was all that about? Yeah, it's interesting. It's like um, like they basically make most of the – in theory, in theory, not practice, most of the players are supposed to walk through that area where it's kind of like a, like, like a walking path out of the game court and then kind of – First, they hit like the, the the right holders, if you will, like like the people who are broadcasting the game, like ESPN, and uh, they'll get like whoever they want really there. And then the other part is where like people like you know like me or the other reporters uh, who are not like you know with ESPN or or FIBA uh, kind of just hope to talk to somebody like uh, yeah. like someone uh, you know has the right to definitely like like walk by you and just kind of ignore you. But like the idea was like this like Josh Green, for example, like after an Australia game, I, uh, you know, asked him if he'd be, you know, interested or willing to, to answer a couple questions. And he was, you know, nice enough to do that. And in theory, you're supposed to be able to do a lot of players, but when you get to like Manila, 
uh, with you know everyone pooling in, going to the same games and stuff. <laughs> it's it's. I took a couple pictures of. I'll have to I'll have to send it or post it. It, it was crazy the amount of people that were focused on like especially team usa but yeah overall it was just it was crazy how packed it was for sure well it was a great tournament to be able to cover because i mean from top to bottom there were exciting games everywhere you had uh you know team usa getting upset you know not just once but in the even in the third place game against canada uh, you know, they got beat in, in overtime. So that was really exciting. You know, Germany just went on an incredible run top to finish, didn't lose once during the actual tournament. Uh, and somehow Dennis Schroeder ends up <laughs> winning MVP despite shooting four of 26 in the, the semifinals. So, you know, lots of good stuff. Uh, you know, Serbia made it to the World Cup final without Nikola Jokic. Uh, there's a lot of talent, and I mean, that's been one of the big topics over the last couple of weeks since the World Cup ended uh, is, you know, has the gap closed enough now to where, you know, Team USA isn't always a lock, or is it more of the case of, well, you know, Team USA just doesn't send uh, their their best talent, or their, their best talent isn't as committed as other countries' best talent is, so... And, I mean, I think it's an interesting argument because, you know, after all that happened, it's like, oh, well, LeBron and Kyrie and Kevin Durant and so on and so on, they're all now interested in joining Team USA for the Olympics next summer, which is great. I mean, obviously, that boosts their chances. They'd be heavy favorites to win it all. But I still think there's enough talent going around, you know, in with the other countries to where even that team wouldn't be a lock, in my opinion. They have a very good chance, but, you know, there are several really good teams that were missing really good players in the World Cup uh, that still made it, you know, further than than what Team USA did. So, I mean, what's your take on that? Is, is it uh, ha- has the gap worldwide closed in a little bit on Team USA or is this just a matter of, well, the best players weren't there and that's pretty much it? I think it's a combination of both, especially in the World Cup years as opposed to the Olympic years. I think uh, the last time, if I remember correctly, that USA won a medal, like not even like gold, just a medal, was when Kyrie Irving won MVP uh, in 2014, yeah. I believe. So I think like a right. lot of the times, even with the – I think there's like like a little bit of nuance as well too with like the certain positions as well with talent, like the big man uh, position – you know, USA relied on, you know, Jaron Jackson at the five a lot um, and other teams, uh, you know, they're, they're basically the team that like, you know, like Embiid, well, well, he's a free agent, but like, you know, potentially Embiid with France or Cameroon or maybe USA, who knows, but like mostly like Jokic, uh, you know, plays for Serbia. Um, you know, a lot of the, like Rudy Gobert plays for France. Like a lot of those like bigger um, like you know, stars, bigs, if you will. They're they're kind of like their nationality is not uh, you know for USA. Uh, so that that's more of a challenge. You have to like you know in FIBA World Cup years dig deeper for the recruitment and then trust a player like a Walker Walker Kessler uh, to maybe you know handle more. And I think they you know definitely were reluctant to fully utilize that. I think their gamble was they wanted to go small. Uh, with Jaron uh, Jackson Jr. at the five, and I think that backfired. Like, because because I guess with every every team, whether it's you know national team or NBA team, there's always like a theory of 
like what you want to do with your team construction. And sometimes it just sort of blows up uh, yeah. after you kind of realize like, okay, well, the physicality is too high. We're not containing on the perimeter enough to help like, you know, mitigate having smaller players in our front court. And I think that's kind of what happened with uh, Team USA. So I'm, I'm definitely interested to see what the center position uh, you know, will look like going forward. Cause I think they did have a lot of talent on the perimeter, but um, you know, like whether it's Bam out of bio or, you know, someone like that, I think that would be very important or Anthony Davis uh, for their chances. Uh, but during the FIBA world cup years, I feel like those players uh, at least this year were not available to be able to fully stack up. But then again, they weren't available for, for Serbia either. Yeah. So it's not like a one size fits all problem or the only problem, but yeah, overall um, I'm definitely curious to see like some of those things, like, like who they go with at the five, like who actually commits, who's healthy enough to play. Cause a lot of those players are in their thirties as well. And who knows some of those players like Jokic for <laughs> Serbia, they won the title. So he, you know, like naturally a lot of times if, if you make it the conference finals or, or, I mean, Schroeder's an exception, but, um, you know, to the finals and win it all, you know, you may not be in a position to where you're going to sign up to play internationally, but yeah. Olympic years are definitely different. So there's definitely a lot of layers as I'm like talking it out. <laughs> like, yeah, they're really, like, I exceptions mean, to different things and all that stuff for sure. It really is. And I mean, USA, you know, our, we're always going to be able to get buckets. You know, Team USA is going to be able to score the ball whenever they want to. But, you know, Team USA's most dominant years in the Olympics or World Cup or whatever, it, I feel like the biggest thing has been able to guard. You know, defensively, having that athleticism, that length on the wing, uh, you know, toughness down low. I think of Tyson Chandler, you know, back in the day, who has an undefeated record uh, as a member of Team USA throughout his career. Uh, and I mean, that kind of leads me into my next point here. Obviously it's not going to happen, you know, this year, next year, you know, maybe even the next couple of years, but it's at some point you have to wonder if a guy like Derek Lively can work his way into that team USA center role, especially being mentored by Tyson Chandler who excelled in that role. And, you know, everybody's saying he has a lot of the intangibles that Chandler had, um, maybe even high, you know, higher potential than I, I think obviously he has higher potential and you know, whether he reaches it or not is yet to be seen, but you know, a guy like that could be your answer for team USA at center in the foreseeable future. But I mean, what do you think of the, the idea of lively potentially getting thrown into the mix there? Yeah, I think, um, I think it makes a lot of sense for like a dirty work specialist who doesn't need the ball in his hands can really rim roll and like protect the rim and maybe do a little bit of switching. I think that would be the perfect sort of fit. I do think in, like, recent, like, Team USA, like, sort of runs, if you will, like, whether it's Olympics or FIBA World Cup, I feel like those, like, sort of finesse centers, uh, they kind of struggle with those. Like, I remember, uh, you know, Miles Turner, uh, he uh, didn't necessarily have, like, the best uh, FIBA World Cup. Uh, you know, Jaron Jackson playing the five didn't have the best, like, like rebounding became a real problem. Like, like, with Miles Turner, it was a problem, but with Jaron Jackson, it was, like, Jaron Jackson problem. had less than three <laughs> rebounds a game, I think. Yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> his minutes were, were so low because, like, 
I guess if you were to list all the downsides of like what could go wrong with this as an option, I feel like everything did. Like he, even his minutes were like I believe under like twenty per game because he yeah. fouled so much. Like like I feel like that's definitely a big part of it as well. Is like you got to have like the like someone who's gonna like not get into foul trouble all the time, who can handle different like a couple coverages. Uh, so you're not like giving the same looks like like you don't want like a slow footed like drop coverage big man who's going to just get you know, like, kind of feasted on um, doing like the same drop coverage and things like that. But I think, you know, Der- Derek Lively has a lot of qualities uh, that I think you would want, like if he develops and is ideally, who you know, like a lot of people expect him to be, uh, you know, coming out of the draft, um, you know, with the shot blocking. He's a good rebounder. But I do think um, for him, one of the the things I'm curious to watch over the couple first couple of years of his career will be how he handles those like more physical imposing like center matchups, like against like a, a like, well, obviously everyone against like a Jokic is going to struggle. Like even Anthony yeah. Davis couldn't yeah, handle yeah. that one. But like just in general, like how he handles, like even like, I guess you could say like, like non-star, like, like Daniel Tice type physical players. Like if you're talking about international basketball, uh, like how he handles those types of players. Cause that was definitely, a, a, like a, a downside or a struggle at times for him at Duke was handling sort of those more physically imposing matchups. Well, and then you, you, uh, you mentioned Jokic and how everybody struggled. People used to give me so much crap for this take, but if you go back and watch the games, it's true. When the Mavs had Willie Collystein on the team, for whatever reason, his length, like the way he played Jokic, it just bothered Jokic. And Jokic might – you go back and look at those games that the Mavs played against the Nuggets, you know, they might have given up almost 30 points to Jokic. But when you look at – you know, he was shooting like 13 of 30 or something like that in those games. And that's just because, you know, the, the, he, Stein was just one of those guys – that gave him problems. It's just like back in the Dirk Nowitzki era, you know, that, that Golden State Warriors team had guys that just gave Dirk problems. You know, Matt Barnes and, you know, guys like that. It just It's just one of those things. So um, maybe Derek Lively can be one of those people. <laughs> yeah, with a seven-foot seven, seven-foot-eight, uh, other places have different uh, measures for what his wingspan is, but, you know, like, one of the things that's really interesting about him that I noticed, like when you're when you're close, like kind of on the level of the court, like in Vegas, he he is really tough to shoot over. Like he plays up and like the ball screens and the guard tries to pull up, they're barely getting shots off over him. So like maybe he could be a disruptive presence as he kind of handles the way the Mavs want him to play up in ball screen coverages. For you know like that could be applicable to you know international basketball to make it hard on the guard, the courts, you know, smaller to operate in with uh, how you can kind of pack the paint, um, you know, maybe how he handles guarding two with one. That's another thing they want to focus on. Um, if he can develop all the things that the Mavericks would like him to develop in and kind of harness his strengths, I think he'd be a really interesting player in that sort of context. Cause there's, there's not a lot of guards that I guess, like uh, if you will, that are like super dynamic scores, uh, like amazing playmakers and have a teammate at the five who are just phenomenal, like all around, like floor spacing threats and interior guys. Like, I think it'd be uh, like a, a way to attack most teams if the ideal version of what you hope you get from Derek Lively ends up being what you get from Derek Lively for sure. 
Yeah. Well, I'm really excited to see, you know, how this first season goes for him. I think I think he's going to be more of a factor than what most people probably realize. It looks like, and I talked about this with uh, with Legends head coach Jordan Sears last week, but, you know, I, I told him, I was like, what have y'all been doing? Because from what we've seen in, like, these little clips that get posted and everything, it looks like they took him after Summer League and just locked him in the weight room uh, and left him there <laughs> until now. Uh, because he looks like he's, you know, bulked up a little bit. And, you know, he was just saying how relentless both Lively and uh, Omax Prosper's work ethic is. Like, they they are just gym rats. Uh, and the same was said about Jaden Hardy last year. You know, just a guy that you can't get out of the gym. Coming in late at night, being there early in the morning. Like, they just they, – they're always working on their games. So – you know, that kind of work ethic, that kind of dedication at 19 years old, I feel – I mean, he may not start from day one, but I think he's going to play a big role from day one. And I think making things simple for a center is the key to success early on for him in his in- NBA career. And it will be pretty simple. You know, set screens, block shots, uh, you know, catch lobs. That. <laughs> <laughs> that's about as simple as, as you can get for a center coming into the league. So I'm excited about that. Uh, we are going to move on from the FIBA stuff. One point I did want to make uh, before we did move on, though, is you feel like Team USA would have looked at Jaron Jackson, Jackson's constant foul problems in the NBA before going over uh, to play internationally, you know, where things, in my opinion, are a little bit more physical. So it's like, it's like, what, what were you expecting? I mean, obviously he's going to end up having foul trouble. So, you know, that you, you, you live and you learn there. So I don't know. I don't know if he'll be back with Team USA or not. But anyway, um, so moving on, we have some a couple of Mavs things uh, that have happened here lately as we get closer to uh, training camp. I'm literally just going down our. Uh, our DallasBasketball.com page here. But uh, you have uh, Mavs player development coach, God Sham God. Uh, He did a podcast here recently and basically said uh, that, you know, they're going to see this year, talking about Kyrie Irving uh, having a redemption type of year, Uh, which I can see. I mean, look, we've talked about it before. The Mavs, when they traded for Kyrie, that wasn't just – that was never meant to be a last year type of move. It was meant to be a future move and they did go out and they signed him to a future deal. They've retooled the roster around him and Luca. Uh, You know, there have been hints, obviously, you know, the the players haven't been mentioned by names, but there were hints that there were issues in the locker room with players, not liking the role that they were being asked to do. And then, you know, conveniently after all that came out, you know, the Mavs end up not signing Christian Wood. <clears throat> they end up waiving JaVale McGee. Uh, you know, it, it le- over 50% of the roster has overturned now. you got Grant Williams, uh, former 3 and D Celtics forward. You've got Seth Curry back for his third stint. You've got uh, – potentially valuable veteran minimum contract guys like Dante Exum and Derek Lively, Derek Lively, Derek Jones Jr. Uh, You've got 
Rashawn Holmes, who is still on the roster, there was a lot of speculation about he might get traded before the seat retraded before the season starts, and that still could happen. But if not, I mean, given the Mavs front court situation over the last handful of years, I could see him being helpful, even though he's not a good defender. Uh, so, I mean, there's just there, – there's a lot of – and then the rookies that we've talked about, Lively and Prosper. I mean, there's just – there's a lot more to be excited about this upcoming season. But what do you think specifically about Sham God's take on Kyrie Irving getting ready to have a uh, redemption year, so to speak? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of the narrative surrounding like Kyrie in general and the Mavs, like like the way the the trade kind of transpired. I think a lot of it has to do with just looking at the overall record. I feel like in general, there's a lot of people that don't necessarily look kind of beyond like like opening up the ESPN scores app. And I 100 percent oh, agree. Yeah, like like 100. Uh, yeah, like in general, I feel like a lot of the narrative is tied to the success. Cause like if like of the win loss column, cause if, if they start to lose games, I felt like a lot of it is just an assumption where it's like, Oh, here goes Kyrie Irving again. His team is, he, you know, his, whatever team he's on is, you know, not winning at all without LeBron or whatever. Like, I feel like that's kind of just the, the, the jumped on conclusion, but I think overall, like there, there's a lot of nuance to adjusting to a team. Like I think overall statistically, as we saw, the general like impact when him and Luca were on the court together, they were very potent offensively, but there was times where they're like in clutch time where they were getting used to like, okay, so you want the ball in this spot or okay, you got it. You, you take the ball in this spot and you got it. Like, like it's kind of like a, a feel out process. Like any team with dynamic talents who are used to being the closer are going to have to, you know, get used to deferring or, this is just the way we're going to attack things. So I think like, you know, a couple games got lost with that, you know, like not as the sole reason, because ideally if you execute better earlier in a game defensively, because they were like a pretty dreadful defensive team last yeah. year, 
maybe you're not having to rely on closing time while you're adjusting on the fly to, to a new star being on your team. But I think overall, like, as Kyrie said frequently, you know, like throughout that period, uh, like in his post-game press conferences and stuff, like they're, they were going through the ugly part in must-win games that most people on other teams were going through in training camp and early in the, the season. They didn't have that luxury. So they're like figuring each other out while other teams have more continuity than them. And that can be costly, whether it's defensive rotations, even knowing what style everyone wants to play with and all that stuff. So I'm curious to see, like, well, especially as, like, someone who, who writes about it and everything, like, as we do, I'm very curious to get, like, his thoughts, like, in the training camp uh, about how they're going to, like, like what he sees as being valuable, what's being worked on with the training yeah. camp. And then also, like, Luca as well, his thoughts, like, you know, Jason Kidd's thoughts and just overall, like, a lot of that stuff I think is important to – to kind of hear about. And I think that will all factor into a more successful team wide season. Cause individually he was very effective until he had like that little stretch, like towards the end. I can think like, I remember that, like, I just remember vividly because of my motel six excursion at 3am in Charlotte. <laughs> but I remember asking him in Charlotte about like his plantar fasciitis. He, he didn't play uh, like to his usual standard again, the, the two game stretch against Charlotte. And then he said, yeah, I'm like working through this like foot stuff. And, you know, I, it's hard to kind of like, like handle that on the fly uh, while you're trying to heal and all that stuff. And it's not fully healed. So I think like between that and Luca dealing with the initial part of him dealing with that, that the thigh injury or quad injury, whatever you want to call it at the same time, I felt like that it was kind of like a, like, as we said with team USA and Jaron Jackson, you list all the downsides of what could yeah. go wrong. A lot of it did go wrong. But, you know, now you have more of a, a time to adjust in training camp. And then they also retool the roster in different spots. And, you know, there's little things about that that could go well, could go wrong. But overall, at least there's a different look. And there's more of a, I guess you could say with, like, as we said with the rookies, um, like, especially like being around them in Vegas, they both very much know their roles and like going into it like that's not something a lot of rookies know like like a lot of them right. are figuring out who they are as a player and who their team is and they'll have to adjust to going against nba personnel and like you know like the little nuances of their role like learning the system especially Derek lively as the anchor of the defense but at least the core of it all is they know their job and that i don't think necessarily there was clarity in a way, like from like everything involved on like what jobs were like, like as like, you know, people have said, like not everyone was on the same page about roles and like what their responsibilities were. So they're at least the young guys, even at least with them, they'll know their job. Well, and it helps too. And I, I keep going back to that, that last interview we did with, uh, with Jordan Sears, but you know, it's not just Sears though. Everybody we've talked to, since the draft has said the same thing and it's that these guys these rookies aren't your typical rookies when it comes to like maturity and and being accepting of those those type of you know dirty work roles so to speak i mean that that's one thing i'm really excited about because it's it's hard to find young guys who know who have such a a clarity about that coming into the league. And I think that's really going to help them from the jump. And I'm, I'm really excited to see how that progresses throughout the year. Another thing you were talking about, yeah, I mean, you, you talked about how there's nuances to, you know, 
stuff like how the Mavs ended last season and a lot of people ignore that stuff. But the biggest thing in my opinion, I mean, obviously chemistry has something to do with it. The roster had something to do with it because you gave up. I mean, Kyrie is far and away better than Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith. But, you know, in reality, you gave up two starters and you got back one. So, I mean, you're obviously going to be a little bit at a disadvantage there. Uh, So you had depth issues. You had the chemistry thing, like you said, trying to build chemistry and win uh, in the toughest part of that building chemistry process when it's must-win games. But then most importantly, you had the the end-of-the-season injury issues. Not, you know, Kyrie with the plantar fasciitis. You had Luca with that nagging thigh injury that he still, you know, it still surfaced in FIBA play. Uh, and we'll have to see. We'll keep an eye on that as we go into training camp and preseason and all that and see how he's doing. But, you know, all of that just hit at once and it created just a disaster. And then, you know, with all that stuff happening, all that bad luck. You can't blame the Mavs for getting to those last two games of the season and realizing how small their chances were of even making the play-in. And so they tanked those last two games, and then the national media just became the most highly moral people I've ever seen in my life uh, <laughs> with, how, with how they condemned the Mavs for doing that. But with, with how it turned out, you know, if, if, if I had to have the Mavs miss the play-in and – lose their top 10 pick versus they kept the pick. They turned it into lively. They turned it into prosper and Rashawn Holmes, and they got off of Davis Breton's contract. I'm glad they did what they did. So it makes things a lot more interesting for us personally going into the season and for them going into the season too. So I'm, I'm glad it worked out the way it did. All of the holier-than-thou people talking about tanking two games and ignoring the other teams that tank for half of a season, uh, you know, or tanking from uh, all-star break. Taking a trip on I-35. There might be a team that's been doing some tanking the last couple of years for sure. Yeah, that wouldn't that wouldn't make any juicy headlines, I guess, though. So, you know, what it, it is what it is. But I'll, I'll never understand. That still irks me that – you know, that people made such a big deal out of that when it was the obvious move. I mean, what else were they supposed to do? So, anyway. I think I'm overall with that stuff, there's <laughs> like, there was definitely like some risk of like, if you upset Luka Doncic about tanking, and but you got like, if you don't hit on the draft and all that stuff, but it all comes down to regardless, you just have to do a good job with how you manage the draft. And I felt like, like if they would have like like say they would have drafted someone who became a draft bust, like we don't know how all those players will play out now. Like with Derek Lively and Prosper, like there's reasons to be confident in all of them. But yeah. say like like if they stayed in their spot, they drafted a bust. That might have been tough to say like that was the right move. But I feel like it's all outcome based in a sense where it's like okay, now that you're taking that risk of tanking, you got to like now get the job done on draft day. And I feel like they definitely did a very effective job. Like, as you said, like getting off the Davis Bertans contract, I remember writing all these articles where it was like, <laughs> like, they'll probably have to attach something just to get rid of them. Well, you attached two draft spots and you got a, a center that you yeah. can develop to be an anchor. That That's something I didn't expect. But, uh, you know, like that is a very like deserves credit of a move. And then you look at other things as well, like coming away with 
a big wing that looks like he's pro ready with his build, like six eight. Like remember with with uh, Omax in Vegas, we saw him next to Benedict Matherin, and like yes. yeah, like he he looks very like <laughs> physically NBA ready. Uh, like you stand next to the guy, he's huge. Like it's like that's usually not something yeah. that you get from a rookie from the jump. Um, so like they, I thought they did a very effective job, and like that's like at the time, I, like when they decided to do the tanking. It's like, you know, you look at like players like, okay, if you stay at 10, obviously you're going to have to draft well. Like Mikhail Bridges is one of the few players in the last like 10 drafts with the 10th pick that was like, you would say, okay, that was worth being the 10th pick with a bad season. A lot of them were like rough players, like for the outcomes, but you know, that's to be expected. Like it it all comes again, back down to the outcome based stuff where it's like, just do your job on draft day. It has to go well. And I feel like, you know, it's early to, to, for anybody to say like, like it's perfect and like you know great job on the draft like too much yet but like with any team but i feel like it's you know reason to have a lot of confidence in what they could develop with what they have and i feel like that you know you know getting the job done when you take those risks is definitely the theme and i feel like there's reason to have confidence in that heading into the season for sure well even even from a practical standpoint and first of all luca's never gonna say Oh yeah. Well, we did the right thing by not. I mean, he's not going to do it. That's that's kind of the politically correct answer from Luca every time you ask him about something like that because obviously he's going to say I want to be out there playing. But from a practical standpoint, from a logic standpoint, since OKC, it now if OKC had lost out and the Mavs still tanked, then and you know they had a they had a chance to get that last spot and they didn't then maybe Luca would have like a reason to be upset yeah uh, mathematically it feels like a lot of people didn't know that like even if they had one yeah. out that like following that Sacramento game that, that third to last game I believe they played really well and they won but then it's like those last two games in the end they still would have you know like, yeah you go two and oh you still don't make it for sure Right, and then as soon as that happens, it's like all of the outrage should have just stopped. It's like, okay, well, they were right. <laughs> like, yeah, and then, like, this even was the if, best even choice. If they just organically, like, played everybody and lost out. Like, let's say that happened, even though those teams were bad and they probably wanted their own. Like, at least San Antonio for sure wanted to get that last little loss, probably, because uh, they ended up with Wembenyama. But even if that happened. I feel like it all comes back again to what we've been saying. It's like you still have to do well in the draft no matter what. It doesn't matter how you get there, why you get there, and what you did to get there. It's just like you still have to just come away from a season where you went 38 and 44 and you got to do all the draft. And I feel like definitely uh, they they impressed me with how they came away with an extra pick. They got off Bertans. They got a veteran big man who's like at least a good stopgap option. Like as you said, like um, he's not a defensive anchor. But at least you know, he's got some qualities that could be a helpful player. And if he's not, you're not like super locked into this commitment. You can probably move off of him at some point. So I think overall, there's a lot of things to like about it. And you know, that's even before getting into free agency as well. Like Grant Williams is a helpful player. Uh, you know, they added some some you know solid role players on low cost deals like Seth Curry, Derek Jones. Like they're they at least have like as what a lot of people like to like you know as a rotation you want to have players that are at least elite at something like Seth Curry, an elite shooter, Derek Jones has a lot of athleticism. You can play him at different spots. So there's like more options. I feel like with this roster than being kind of stuck with 
not even like being great at the identity that you're stuck with. That's I think a big problem yeah. with last year is like even like after the trade, something that like you know I feel like we talked about a couple times on the show is like at the four they almost had no answer like like viable answer like Reggie Bullock at 200 pounds is not a four. You're not going to yeah. have that guy doing low man rotations and like containing on switches, all that stuff. Like that's not probably great. You need a rim protector at the five to be, make that viable. And then you look at like, I think like in March, they started to, I feel like kind of acknowledge that with their actions. They're like, okay, this isn't going to work. So let's go with bigs. Let's just try that. And I feel like when you're just trying stuff to try stuff in March, I feel like you're probably not in a great position <laughs> yeah. as a roster overall. <laughs> Yeah, probably not gonna work. <laughs> yeah, March should be the the cruising time. Like you should have a pretty good idea of where you're gonna be at. It it, it was just a big mess last year, and hopefully, you know. And I I really do think. I mean, obviously, there's there's levels to this. You know, how much better will they be? I think it's a given that they will be better. How much better? I don't know, but I think they'll definitely be better than what we witnessed last year or at the end of last year. So yeah, because uh, a lot of it, it has to do with like what's going on at that given time. Like for all we know, like, like if you, if you think back to, even if you analyze things in mid March and you talk about a team like the Memphis Grizzlies or, or actually, I don't remember exactly when John Moran started to have the, the off the court, uh, like, you know, problems and stories that led to the, Kind of like like to kind of derail a bit of their season. Yeah, like you, you can't predict things like that. Like who knows like what's going to happen? And they get bounced as a two seed to the Lakers in the first round, and then all of a sudden the Lakers are in the Western Conference Finals. Like things yeah. went really well for the Lakers at the right time, and you just never know when you, either side of that will happen to your team. Like you know who knows? Like maybe they stay healthy and and things go well, and then. They're available to, to make a big run or who knows, maybe Luca's quad injury is a problem and Kyrie Irving at 31, 32 has some, you know, foot problems over the next like one or two. Who knows? Like there's all kinds of things that could go well, could go wrong. But this season theory, could turn into the Jaden Hardy show. Who knows? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that would be very interesting, too, because it's like they use the summer league to develop him. And there's like, okay, there's work to be done. So that's like, what, what work did he do in between? Like, like you talked about with, with Jordan Sears, the work that got done there. Like, who knows? Like, there's a lot of things that could go well, could go wrong. And all I know is that we'll be at like every single game writing about it. So that'll oh, be yeah. fun. Well, we are officially, let's see, when does training camp start? The 30th? 20, uh, 27th, I believe, is the... So we are single-digit days away from training yeah. camp, uh, from from Mavs Media Day and training camp, and uh, yeah, we're going to get the ball rolling here very shortly. It's it's crept up on us. Uh, it's been a very fun summer from top to bottom. Uh, I think, you know, where... I mean, uh, I'm just being honest here. I'm not calling out anybody, but I feel like where a lot of people have kind of, you know, laid down and taken the summer off, we've kind of plowed through it, and uh, we have put out a lot of great content this summer, uh, you know, both both on the pod and on DallasBasketball.com. And uh, with the way it's set up with the revamped roster and Kyrie and Luca uh, having an offseason season together i feel like it's setting up to be an even uh better season than 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 we had off season so i'm excited about that 
Uh, you do a great job, Grant, covering all this stuff. Uh, we appreciate all the work you do. Uh, keep it up. It's going to be a very fun season for you. You know, uh, I can't wait to see what comes from all that. Uh, but I am very excited to see how the Mavs do here in the next few uh, few months. So to start looking the ahead to that uh, that preseason period, all I got to say is I'm glad I have my passport. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right grant will be in abu dhabi he will also be in madrid for uh that Mavs versus real madrid uh preseason game which should be pretty fun you know luca going up against his old squad that'll be that'll be interesting and old old mav uh legend uh composo as well oh yeah yeah social media sensation i think that's the most social media engagement the mavs got in the last like handful of years just from that one signing there is uh from argentina there's Messi, and then there's Composo. yeah <laughs> <laughs> so they'll they'll get to benefit from that maybe a little bit more too so well guys look we appreciate y'all joining us for yet another episode of the math step back podcast be sure to go like rate and subscribe on all your favorite podcast platforms hit that subscribe button on youtube if you like watching us over there our YouTube channel has been on fire all summer, so be sure to go do that. Uh, and we've got some – I've got some shirts on the way. I've got a dirt, dirt-related shirt. I've got some DallasBasketball.com shirts. I've got some samples, but I don't have the actual shirts yet. When those come in, we are going to do some giveaways uh, before the season starts. I'm, look, I'm think another two weeks before I actually get the full batch of those shirts coming in. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, and again, you can find myself at Dalton underscore Trig, and you can find Grant at Grant Afseth on Twitter. We appreciate it, guys. Y'all have a great rest of your day, and we'll see you next time. Y'all have a good one.